everybody. Lauren here again. Thanks so much for joining me today. This podcast is brought to you by Health Hope Vitality, providing personal training and nutrition guidance online from the comfort of your own home. Visit healthhopevitality.com to get started with your free consultation. And for the most researched nutritional products on the planet, visit breeden.juiceplus.com. So I did not post an episode on a Friday a couple days ago. Uh, like I had wanted to, this goodness, I guess the past couple weeks have been quite eventful to say the least. I guess that's a good word for it. So our oldest, who is not ours by blood, but ours through, um, <laughs> I guess through our hearts, we haven't officially adopted her, but uh, to us, she is ours. Uh, she actually just got engaged in April and she is getting married in August and that is just a couple months away. So we are like really trying to cram everything in and it has taken up most of my free time that I didn't even know that I had to begin with. So that's why I have been a little bit absent or delayed, I guess would be a better way to say it. So I am coming in here today because I have recently, just over the past 24 hours, really become inspired. And this is a long time coming. But yesterday I started watching a couple documentaries and then I watched another one today over health and wellness and the food industry in America. Anyways, the documentaries that I watched uh, were from Amazon Prime The first one that I watched was Food as Medicine, which was a really good one. Uh, The second one was Plant Pure Nation, which I believe is also produced by the same people that produced Forks Over Knives, which is another good health documentary. And then today I just finished up watching Fed Up, and that was the longest out of the three. That one was actually an hour and a half, but really good information. And honestly, most of it is quite disturbing information about how in America, especially we are being lied to by the food industry. And we are being heavily influenced by these companies that put these gray areas over their nutrition when in fact, there is no gray area. It's a solid (laughs) black line Uh, but they want to hide it and they want to make it seem like their food or beverage is good for us. It is a good alternative for us when in reality, the addition of all of these foods throughout the past several decades has only contributed to the increase in type two diabetes, not just in adults, but also in children, um, The increasing, ever increasing rise in obesity, again, not just for adults, but also in children. One of these statistics that Fed Up shared was that in 1980, there were no incidences of type 2 diabetes in children. Now, I am a product of the 80s. I was a child during the 80s, and yeah, I can attest that. Growing up, I had maybe one or two obese or overweight friends. Nowadays, you go into any mainstream classroom and overweight kids are much more prevalent. And honestly, 
what one of these documentaries, I, I believe it was Fed Up, really talked about is that it is not the child's fault that they are overweight. And honestly, it's not always entirely the parent's fault either, because the answer is not just as simple as eat better and you're going to lose weight. Because so many products on the shelves nowadays say that they are better. Oh, this is made with whole grains. This has reduced fat. This has lower sugar. This only has 100 calories per serving or whatever. And people that aren't educated to know what these things really mean or don't know how to really read labels, and I'm not just talking about uh, nutrition facts, but also ingredients as well, People who don't know these things, they're not going to (laughs) know. They're just not going to know. They see whole grain on the label and they think, great, I'm going to get a serving of grains. When in reality, it would be so much better to go to a local bakery or go to a farmer's market and buy a loaf of bread that was made with grain that was harvested a week ago. It's a multifaceted issue. Why do I care so much? (laughs) You may may wonder to yourself uh, if you just stumbled upon this podcast, and thank you for sticking with me if you are skeptical. But if you are still here, let me tell you why I care. I do have a history of struggling with disordered eating. I don't know if I could really call it an eating disorder, but it has been it has been cautiously labeled an eating disorder by both my therapist and also my dietitian as well. So it is what it is. I didn't even know that I had an eating disorder until I went to counseling for the issues that I was facing. And primarily, I've just, I've had body dysmorphia probably for forever. I had a, well, I still have, I guess. I have an older sister that is much thinner than me. Just honestly, she has a completely different body composition than me. Was I told that growing up? Absolutely not. But she has a completely different body composition than me, and she bullied me and emotionally tortured me about how much bigger I was than her growing up. So in my mind, throughout the most of my childhood, up until just a couple years ago, I thought it was my fault. It was my fault that I was not that size, that I was not that shape, and I had to make myself be that size and that shape in order to be accepted by society, in order to be accepted by my older sister. And of course, there was a lot of emotional trauma from that as well. But all in all, that treatment led to basically an intuitive eating protocol of such, if you could call it that. Intuitive eating is really a whole other podcast episode, but intuitive eating essentially is thinking about your food. And so for people with eating disorders, especially with binge purge disorders, and uh, for me, I had orthorexia. And so I was just over consumed with what food is healthy, what food is bad, these foods are bad. And if I eat that bad food, I'm a bad person and things like that. But really taking a step back and thinking about, okay, how does this food smell? How does it taste? How does it feel? How does it make me feel an hour from now? How am I going to feel tomorrow? Because I have that huge bowl of macaroni and cheese and really taking an objective look on food and replacing all the emotions and the emotional eating with an objective view of what that food can do for me. Along with that, however, with intuitive eating, they don't want you to cross off any foods off the list unless you just have really bad allergies or intolerances or things like that. 
because there are so many foods that as a person with an eating disorder, I had crossed off my list for years. Did that completely erase the desire to have those foods? Absolutely not. That just made them even more appealing. Take, for instance, Oreos. Oreos were one of my, one of my foods that were on the do not touch list, do not buy, do not look at, do not taste, do not eat for years. And I'm not exaggerating that at all to the effect that I didn't buy them. I could not buy them because I knew that I could not trust myself with that package of Oreos. If in fact, I on a whim did buy that package of Oreos, the entire package would be gone in 24 hours. Now what's healthier, eating a whole package of Oreos or having one or two Oreos once every few months? So this whole intuitive eating process brought back all of these foods that I had previously crossed off my list. And I don't regret the experience. I know that I had to go through that experience in order to really recover from the emotional bondage that I was under between the trauma experience with my sister growing up and then just the the body dysmorphia and the food trauma uh, growing up and even as an adult. So I don't regret it. However, introducing or reintroducing all of those foods that I had previously put on the bad list, on the naughty list, so to speak, wreaked havoc on my body. So I went from having a very strict diet, a very limited diet to, you know, the following year and the year after that, having all of these foods that were rich in calories, poor in nutrition. They had dairy There was definitely gluten. I was eating, you know, candy that I had crossed off my list for years. I was eating cookies. I was eating little Debbie snacks and things like that. Now, you may think, holy crap, she probably gained like 100 pounds doing all that. And well, no, I didn't gain that much weight because part of the intuitive eating is that you don't shove your face full of these things. You taste it and you savor it and you savor every single bite and you really pay attention to your body's cues to tell you when you've had enough instead of just eating it all because you don't know when you're going to have it again. During this whole process, I didn't step foot on the scale. So I went from, I think I was fighting to hold at 172 pounds and fighting with all of my might. And I was so depressed because I just wanted to lose 10 more pounds. I just wanted to lose 10 more pounds and I couldn't, no matter how much I tried to starve myself. I stepped off the scale for 18 months. And by the time I stepped back onto the scale, I was 225 pounds. So yeah, I gained about 55 pounds throughout all of that. Throughout the journey as well, that's when I went and got my certification as a personal trainer because I really wanted to learn how to take an objective look at this whole thing. But the weight gain was not the only piece that I experienced from going back to a standard American diet. I also quickly discovered that when I had gotten further into my recovery and had really started to focus more on eating healthier and more nutritious foods that I could not lose the body fat. It was just not coming off of me. And after a lot of trial and error and getting some very comprehensive hormonal testing done, and it wasn't through a doctor, mind you, (laughs) Uh, But I did some very comprehensive hormonal testing. I found out that I was essentially, am essentially in premenopause. 
the symptoms that I was experiencing the year following intuitive eating that starting that journey led me to premenopause. Mind you, I am 35. When I started experiencing these symptoms, I was 34. So I'm young. I'm not old enough to be starting menopause or have these issues or anything like that. And if I just go back and I look at the past couple years for my health journey, now was, you know, being thinner and eating a gluten dairy-free diet and being emotionally sick. Is that a healthy spot to be? Absolutely not. (laughs) I had to go through all of that. But a big piece of my story, at least most recently, is that I guess I was my own science experiment. (laughs) I went back to a standard American diet and I didn't cut anything off the table, essentially. And it did not do me any favors. You may wonder, where am I at now? Well, I have started some hormone replacement therapy. Uh, It was actually approved by my functional medicine doctor. And my functional medicine doctor, which if you've ever been to a functional medicine doctor, you know that they will try everything else before they go towards medicine. Like they will look at your diet, they will look at your stress levels, uh, they will look at your sleep and everything else, and they will try to figure out some other thing to fix the problem instead of patching it with a Band-Aid or treating the symptom like uh, mainstream doctors do. So it took a couple years, but my functional medicine doctor actually prescribed a very low dose Adderall to kind of jumpstart my system because essentially my metabolic system had just cratered after being on such a strict diet and then completely losing that strict diet altogether it just wreaked havoc on my metabolic system. It wreaked havoc on my hormones. And the sad part about it is that this standard American diet, this is, it's not a new thing for me as an adult. I grew up that way. You know, I grew up with Coke in the fridge and I grew up with, um, you know, making a run to the store with my mom to get cookies and icing because we wanted a sweet treat. I grew up on Hamburger Helper. I grew up on Velveeta macaroni and cheese. I grew up on all of these very processed, very dairy-laden options and never really gave two cents thought about how unhealthy it was. Mind you as well, I was never really a small kid. I guess I wasn't obese either. I never fit the mold of your, you know, typical skinny, active kid. Um, I look at my daughter, my youngest daughter now, who's six, and she, and I see the kind of build that she has. Does she have a, you know, typical six-year-old build? Maybe not, but she's definitely more muscular. And I'm so grateful to be able to have the knowledge that I have now about food and metabolism and, and body types and things like that to hopefully prevent some of these issues for my daughter later on. So let me get back to the documentaries that I watched. So the first one, food is medicine. If you are a meat eater, you might get kind of mad watching it. (laughs) So it is primarily, uh, it focuses on a small research study where they gave uh, people plant-based meals for 10 days And the results that these people saw in just 10 days within their blood work, not necessarily within weight, but within their blood work was absolutely astonishing. Uh, For some, even cutting their cholesterol 
and half. Thankfully, now I have actually had high cholesterol in the past. Uh, one of the times that I did have high cholesterol was when I was going through intuitive eating. <laughs> so no surprise there. And one of the things that was evident in food as medicine and not so much with fed up, fed up was more about the uh, food industry's uh, control over Americans and children in America, but also in a plant pure nation. Actually, that's where they did the research. I'm sorry. Plant pure nation was where they did that research of providing those meals. So it's, it's not rocket science, right? Eat more plants and your body will do better. That's, that's research. That is science. <laughs> um, I don't even have enough room on my computer probably to show you the, the different research studies based on plant foods and what they can do for the body. It's out there. But why don't we hear about that? Well, that's kind of what Fed Up talked about. It focused especially on the school system and what we are feeding our kids in the school system. And not that it's necessarily the school's fault, but really one of the things that Fed Up talked about is that people have risen with these um, articles, I guess, and arguments against the food industry saying that such and such leads to disease, leads to diabetes, leads to kidney failure, leads to liver failure and things like that. But the food industry has such a huge, huge arm of control over America and over the standard American diet that it is near impossible to get away from some of these things. So even if you do your darndest to eat mostly plant-based, to stick to a healthier diet with as many single ingredient foods as possible, you take one step into the grocery store and what do you see in front of you? Well, I can tell you what I see in my grocery store. I see chips. I see macaroni and cheese. I see uh, those popsicles that are full of artificial colors and somehow they're self shelf stable um, and you, you're supposed to freeze them and give them to your child as a popsicle in the summer. Um, I see lots of processed and packaged meats and I see sodas on the right and it's just so hard to get away from the food industry because they put so much money into their advertising, into their campaigns. And here's, here's kind of the, the twisted, the other twisted piece of this, okay? The USDA, the United States Department of Agriculture, has a, they're kind of, they're two-faced, okay? So on one side, they, they advocate and they say, that they are providing healthy school lunches for our children. Now, I have been up to my child's school, children's school, several times for lunch. There are semi-healthy things provided. Now, they've, they're only in elementary school, okay, so I can't speak for middle school or for high school. On the same note, the USDA will also label tomato sauce and pizza as a vegetable. Are you kidding me? Tomato sauce is not a vegetable. A vegetable is going out to the vine and picking a tomato and eating that. Okay? Or is a tomato a fruit? Whatever. That's a completely different argument. So the USDA, on one hand, 
has this argument that we're we're making children healthy in the schools. We're providing these healthier options and blah, blah, blah. But then on the other hand, they are also pushing this agenda, and yes, I will use that word, to have a diet that's high in dairy, that is high in meat, and that is so much lower in plants. Now, hear me out on this. I was at school, my kid's school, for lunch one day, and as a special treat as something that's not always offered every time. They had these little dishes of cauliflower for the children. How many kids do you think took that cauliflower and were actually excited to eat it? And I kid you not, I never saw something like that offered again. The problem too, though, is that yes, children spend so much time in the schools, but I don't really think that kids will get obese by what they eat for lunch at school. Now, I will definitely say that some of the things that they have offered for breakfast for these kids is absolutely repulsive, and it's incredibly processed, and really the same can be said for lunch too. But it only continues when they go home. When they go home, they get soda, they get french fries, they get fried chicken, they get so many calorie-rich and nutritional-deficient foods at home. They're absolutely surrounded by it. And truly, how are these kids going to know any better unless we as adults, and I'm not just talking about parents either, but we as adults show them better. But in order for us to show them better, we have to learn better ourselves. Because if you're in the same age bracket as I am, you probably don't know any better either. You probably grew up on Fruity Pebbles, just like I did, and Hamburger Helper, just like I did, and uh, McDonald's Hamburgers and Cheeseburgers, just like I did. You know, we have to take charge of the foods that we allow into our schools, into our homes, into everywhere. And the funny thing about this is that the food industries will fight and fight and fight tooth and nail and fight and say that their foods aren't that bad, that everybody needs a little bit of sugar in their diet. Um, I do actually have just a, a teeny bit of some facts here for you, okay? A standard, I guess it's 32 ounces of Gatorade. Gatorade's super common, right? We see that everywhere on the fields. Gatorade has... 14 teaspoons of sugar in it. Ketchup. Who doesn't have ketchup in their fridge? Now, I do have ketchup in my fridge. One tablespoon, which is such a small amount. I don't know any child that can eat a plate of chicken nuggets with only one tablespoon of ketchup. One tablespoon has four grams of sugar. A 20-ounce Coke has 17 teaspoons of sugar. Now, just because this is a research-based podcast... I want to share something with you. This is actually from Harvard, a website uh, from Harvard. So to break it down, four grams of sugar equals one teaspoon. So if we look back at ketchup, ketchup has one teaspoon of sugar for every tablespoon. So every single tablespoon of ketchup that we are giving to our kids, we might as well open their mouth and pour in a teaspoon of sugar. And this is not natural sugar. This is not... (laughs) stevia or whatever. This is added sugar. This doesn't happen naturally. No, it doesn't happen naturally. We can't just turn a blind eye 
to some of this stuff and think that what we put in our body doesn't matter because it does. And I, I really learned that from experience. And now even now I do have several food allergies and I know when I have overdone it because my asthma will flare up. It's hard for me to swallow. My allergies will kick up. I can't stop sneezing. My nose is runny. I'm congested. My throat hurts. So many things. But the problem is we cannot look to the government agencies to give us the help that we need with this. We need to go back out there, go to the farmer's market. We need to go shopping for those single ingredient foods. We need to care about what goes in our mouth, what goes on our plate, and what goes into our homes. Because we probably have the largest voice. And if the food industries don't receive the same amount of support as they're currently getting, and they're, they're so afraid that they're going to crumble and crash, well, so what? So what if they do? I don't think that the future of America's success fully hinges on the success of the USDA and these other food companies that have such a stronghold on our system. Go to any other foreign country and you will see that they eat completely different than we do. We are the most advanced, technological, you know, medically advanced country in the world. And we are the sickest of all. And that makes me sick. And that also gives me passion. Because I think healthy food and healthy access to food should be available for all. And why isn't that on a presidential campaign? All right, I'll step off my soapbox. Thank you for listening. If you've made it this far, I'll talk to you soon.